Hi everybody, Mike here. So glad that you are out there in internet land. Greetings and salutations from suburban Columbus, Ohio, where although the calendar says it is spring, um, the weather has declared otherwise. It is a brisk 36 degrees um, here at the end of March. 2018. So I don't know which is worse. I mean, the cold for sure. But then then when everything around you says it should be spring, it's still not spring. And I'll stop complaining about the weather, of course, once it turns. But I just need a moment um, for particularly our California listeners to understand that, that, you know, the 60 degree sweaters that you wear. I mean, I get it. I get it now. But I, I, it still breaks my heart to know that you're sitting there in your sweaters. I'm here in my shorts. Um, anyway, we're glad that you are uh, tuning in today. And uh, we appreciate all of you who subscribe and rate our, the podcast. Thank you for those of you supporting us on Patreon. Again, uh, there's a whole list of uh, rewards and um, a new podcast that's uh, on the book of Revelation that you can check out on Patreon.com. Um, look for uh, Mike Erie, and uh, that'll take you to that page. Um, today, what I want to do is that there's been so much going on this week. Um, last week, we talked about the Trinity, did, did some theological geeking out, which we love. Uh, today, just want to react to a couple of things um, that's that's hap- that have happened over the last week, and um, part of, again, I, I don't know, you know, if we air too much on one side or the other, but well, we try to do a bit of both cultural sort of analysis and uh, filtering and uh, just some straight Bible stuff. But um, came across a couple of things that I, I thought were worth passing on. Uh, and they're totally non-controversial issues: abortion, Down syndrome, and women in pastoral ministry. So those are those are the three quick topics we're going to try to uh, take some ground on uh, today. Uh, uh, March twenty-first is uh, kind of World Down Syndrome Day. I think it's the official title of it. And uh, at least my Facebook feed was flooded with beautiful kids with uh, DS. Um, and we'd spend a little time talking about. Um, the morality of uh, the pressure in some quarters to uh, eradicate the Down syndrome population. And, um, and so I was just kind of surfing around that topic and came across a young lady named Charlotte Helene Fine, F-I-E-N, or Finn. I don't know how she pronounces her name. Uh, she's speaking at the United Nations and she has Down syndrome herself. She is reading uh, this statement. And, and the statement, she makes one statement. I mean, the whole thing is incredible. It's like f- four or five minutes. But, um, but to hear someone with Down syndrome say these words was just magnificent. Quote, you can try to kill off everyone with Down syndrome by using abortion but you won't be any closer to a perfect society. You will just be closer to a cruel, heartless one. 
I love it. You will not. You could try to kill off everyone with Down syndrome by be, by using abortion, but you won't be any closer to a perfect society. You will be. You will just be closer to a cruel and heartless one, and and that's kind of the argument we were making. There is there is something that happens to a society whenever that society decides that uh, certain individuals and whatever whatever indicators are used. Uh, certain individuals are not worthy of rearing, and um, and so to hear her say this, uh, she she also said uh, the the most unsafe place for a child with Down syndrome is the womb, and if you believe the statistics, that globally around ninety percent of those pregnancies end in abortion, then um, then she has a point. Um, so so World Down Syndrome Day for us and for many others. Uh, is a day of celebration and it's a day of advocacy that uh, you know you don't need to have a child with with special needs to um, to appreciate them um, but certainly those of us who are part of that unique uh, fraternity and sorority um, we we would wish this on people uh, there there is a there is a beautiful thing that happens it is hard it is exhausting there are days it's so frustrating and days it's unbelievably overwhelming and days of incredible grief um, but I had a guy come up to me when Seth was uh, when Seth was born who who just simply said Seth will be a source of unending joy for you and um, and that's been true. And uh, that doesn't mean it's true for every kid that's um, that's wrestling with some special needs, but um, it's been true for us, and it's true for a lot of the families that we know. No matter how significantly difficult the circumstances, there's still something added, and uh, we think that's true of society as well. So that's the first thing that happened this week was just the celebration of that day. The second thing um, is uh, I'm recording this on a Sunday night. We just had the March for Life, um, March for Our Lives. And, um, and, and I'm, I was reminded even as I said that of the counter hashtag March for Our Lies, which is being promulgated by others. I mean, the thing that was, you know, shocking is, is to see... Uh, the the animosity directed towards these kids. Now, now, of course, it's being politicized, and of course, uh, I mean, of course, this is all like people posturing, and uh, yeah, I got it. But but to 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 compare these rallies to Hitler Youth rallies or uh, or the celebration of fa- uh, fascism or whatever, I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And if you are a conservative person, if you are a member of the NRA, you are just guaranteeing that 20 years from now, the Second Amendment, at least as we know it now, will be wiped from the face of the earth. I mean, you're just, why not cooperate with these students for common sense, for common sense gun laws? And people will say, well, yeah, okay, Mike, well, uh, since you're a policy expert, why don't you go ahead and give us some policy? And my response is, I'm not a policy expert. I don't have any freaking idea. I just know that my son has active shooter drills in his freaking high school. That didn't happen all those years ago when I was in high school, and I'm not okay with it. End of story. And it's not just a gun control issue. Of course, it's a sin issue from a Christian perspective. And there, there's moral responsibility, and there are cultural factors, and there's mental illness involved. I mean, this has to be a multi-pronged approach in, in many different dimensions with many different issues to really get at this. It's not just a one-time thing. But for, for high school students uh, 
and those who love them, support them, rally around them, their families, whatever, to, to come out and be for greater gun control because their, stu- because their friends were gunned down in a school, how, how, wh- why not participate with them? Why, not, why, not, why marginalize? Why antagonize? Why insult? I mean, and I guess maybe the only reason is because it's a threat now. You know, this is a threat. We're going to lose our ability to have whatever gun we want whenever we want it. And um, and so I've been thinking a lot uh, about gun control because obviously, I mean, one, one point we made a couple of podcasts back, of course, is that there's no Christian right. There's no God-given right to own uh, a gun. Um, certainly, we have the ability to protect ourselves, those we love. I got all that, but if you want to check that podcast out, go ahead, because I don't think you can say it's a Christian right. Um, secondly, and, and obviously, um, Christians can disagree about this, right? I mean, Christians disagree over the role of violence um, and the role of government and the role of women in the church. It's okay that there are disagreements, but, but what has really become brutal is the demonization, of course, that's happening from both parties, that Christians um, can call other Christians who advocate for greater gun restrictions fascists, and, um, and that Christians who advocate for, um, for unregulated, um, not completely unregulated, but, but kind of the current status quo, um, those people can be called, you know, the murderers and the blood, the blood of the, of these murders are laid at the feet of anyone who owns a gun and, and supports gun rights. I mean, that's, none of that is helpful. Um, and so I've been just thinking about, all right, if I were pressed, not, not that any of you have been asking, but if I were pressed for, uh, an argument about why, uh, I would join those students and why, even if it's politicized, because some people are going to say, well, yeah, these kids are just being used as pawns to further a political agenda. And, and, and in one sense, um, less gun deaths is not a political agenda. I think that's just a cultural flourishing that anybody anywhere should, um, should want. Uh, on the other hand, how we go about reducing gun violence, well, yes, it's totally a politicized issue, and it's way above my pay grade. My point is simply this. As Christians, how should we participate in, um, in our violence-soaked culture, um, in a, a, a culture where in some places um, guns are idolized and uh, gun rights are enshrined as if it were a Christian virtue? Um, how do we participate in a culture where any meaningful nuance or debate, you know, is, is immediately crushed by 140 characters of Twitter or memes or whatever? Um, how do we, how do we, and, and, and should we, I mean, or should we just stay out of it? Uh, what's, what's a way theologically to think about gun control? And, and I don't know, um, I haven't thought this all the way through, but, but here's just one kind of one thought. Um, the, the Christian faith, uh, at least in its ethic, um, is, is eschatological. And, and if you're like, ooh, you said you know, the word scat, which is a hunting word for like dung or whatever, yes. But, but it has nothing to do with that. Eschatology is the study of last things or the study of the end. 
um, es- uh, something. So, so if we say that something is eschatological, it means there's a telos to it. There's an aim. There's a target. There's an end. There's it, it's going somewhere. It's aimed at something. So to say something is eschatological uh, means that that it's not just that God's up there and is like, okay, all right, here's some freaking rules for you guys because you guys are a bunch of clowns. And um, if you break these rules, going to send you to hell because you should know better. Even though you're now born with a propensity to do this, I'm going to send my... I mean, that's not... That, that's not what we're saying uh, at all about why why there is the shape and form of of a Christian ethic. It's not um, it's not because God um, has, has delights in having a dividing line between good and bad or immoral or immoral or you know moral. Um, it's because uh, because the Christian life is eschatological, meaning it's heading somewhere, and the vision that we get about where it's heading informs about how the church conducts itself in the present. And so, as an example, racism, the reason the church must confront racism, is it because the church is progressive or democratic or liberal or whatever? The reason the church must must um, deal with racism is because if it permits racism in its ranks, it, allow, it allows the witness for which it was created to be compromised. Paul is super clear about this, like in the book of Galatians, that God's purpose in redeeming both Jews and non-Jews, which was the central like, uh, like ethnic divide um, in, the, uh, in the ancient world, the goal of redeeming people from both of those wasn't just to have Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians, but it was to create one new humanity, an entirely new human race where the previous distinctions did not hold. So when Paul says something like, in Christ there's either male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, right? I mean, th- this is unbelievably radical stuff, but the reason he's saying it is because God's plan has always been for the nations, and the glimpses we get, not only of the beginning of the story, but of its end, are super clear about that. So in the book of Revelation, you're getting all of these glimpses of every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every people sitting around the throne proclaiming God and worshiping the Lamb. And, uh, and, and, you know, like literally concentric circles upon concentric circles, all of creation just overflowing with worship and praise and adoration and acclamation. I mean, it's incredible. And, and so if that's how the end is going to be, that, the, that there isn't a distinction anymore, um, that those distinctions are not held to be of any significance, right? That there is no racism um, in the life, uh, in the age to come, then the church's job is to embody that principle today. Now, obviously it does it imperfectly. Uh, we're still in process. The spirit has come, the kingdom has come, but not in, not in all of its fullness. And so, so you and I are now left with confronting racism, but we don't do it just because racism is wrong, although that's enough. And we don't do it because we're, we're good, you know, uh, progressive liberals or whatever. We do it because the end, in the end, the, and when the kingdom of God comes in all of its fullness and its consummation, there will be 
no distinctions. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't. I mean, that, that if you're African-American now, you won't be African-American. Then I have no idea how that works. Uh, I just mean that those whatever distinctions there are simply have no moral value or judgment attached to them. End of story. Right, the the whole point of the story is about God calling out of human history a redeemed humanity, a new humanity, where the distinctions that govern the the old age no longer hold any significance. End of story. So that's why we worry about racism today, is because of where the story ends up. Now, guns. This is so interesting because I, the the thing I hear whenever I talk about this. Um, is because obviously I'm I, I'd be somebody uh, that thinks there should be universal background checks that the age to purchase a gun should be 21 um, that uh, that whatever current laws are on the books need to be enforced uh, dramatically if they are not already um, I, I think it should be um, uh, difficult or at least as difficult to uh, to get a gun uh, as it should be a driver's license. I mean, you know, just uh, I don't think this is like giving up our guns kind of stuff. We're not banning guns. Um, we just want to make sure they're in the right hands and responsibly used. I mean, end of story. Um, but but why? why? Why should we hold this? Is it just because we're good liberals? We're abandoning the Second Amendment? I mean, what, what the heck? Um, and my argument is simply the same argument as to as to racism. We what we can't do, and I and I hear this all the time from people. Well, well, you know, you can talk about the kingdom of God, but we live in the real world. Well, so did Jesus, and um, he still advocated all of this Jesus stuff. So, if you're a Christian and you can't reconcile Jesus's life and his teaching with your view on um on the world then you know maybe you've got a problem maybe you're not following jesus any longer because jesus was really clear um about what the end of the age was going to look at and jesus essentially just gave voice and vision to uh the prophet isaiah's take on the end of the age and and this jesus was called the prince of shalom the prince of peace isaiah in isaiah chapter 2 um, it shall come to pass in the later days. This is talking about the eschaton, the end, uh, the age to come. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and they will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now there, there's a whole bunch sitting right there, but then the next part of the vision is the one that's uh, probably most famous. Um, he shall judge, um, and and this is referring to God or the the servant of the Lord or the Messiah. You can take it a bunch of different ways. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Isaiah 2. Now, now, the argument could be, listen, let's say we do have stricter gun laws. Guns don't kill people. People kill people using guns. And we, you know, same with cars. We don't ban cars. Okay, that's fine. Um, let's say that gun laws won't reduce the number of 
of of gun deaths i would still argue that we should we should enact them for precisely the same reason we fight racism because the end of the story is um where people literally take their weapons of war and they beat them um, into weapons of farming and agriculture we are to be the people who are dumb enough or faith, faithful enough, depending on your point of view, to actually believe that's where the story goes, and that being killed or um, uh, or uh, you know being uncomfortable or whatever it is isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is um, living a life apart. Uh, from knowing and understanding and and following the beautiful Jesus, at least that's the Christian way of looking at things, um, and, and that the that 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 following that Jesus leads you to a world in which um, nations will no longer go to war against nations. And if the church is to be the advance guard of that reality, then it's very odd when quote evangelicals. Um, and again, who knows if these statistics are true, slanted, made up, I have no idea, but the cultural narrative is that evangelicals are very, very pro-gun, very, very pro-war, very, very pro-capital punishment, very, very pro-torture even, it was um, you know revealed several years ago. And, and if that's the case, then may I suggest that our witness is compromised in the same way it's compromised when we allow racism um, to be rampant in our communities. In other words, we're not actually being a vanguard of the end. We're just being uh, another special, special interest group that has and insists on the same rights as everybody else. And the last time I checked, the, the early Christians did not change the world by, um, by crying out for their rights to Rome. Now, Paul did that once, but for a very specific missionary reason. Um, but what the earliest Christians did is they stayed faithful to the lordship of Jesus, regardless of whatever political consequences came their way. Um, and the primary way that happened is they simply refused to worship the Roman pantheon. Um, it was okay if you had your personal gods. No one would object to an early Christian. They worshiped Jesus as long as they worshiped the goddess Roma and the pantheon of Roman deities. The issue was the Christians went around saying, because I worship Jesus, I cannot worship these other things. So when you see the, the American pantheon of gods as violence, as power, as money, as pleasure, then, the, then the, the church has to be a place where we embody the eschatological vision of the scriptures in regards to each of those things. In other words, the reason we get so torn up about sex abuse in the church is because we all know the church is a place where that should never happen. That's in the very definition of what it means to be the church. That's why we hate it and are so appalled by it. Absolutely. Because we're not embodying the telos, the end for which we were created. So we confront uh, America's love of money by being communities that live in generosity, that resist, that resist consumerism, that embrace simplicity, um, that that um, share with the poor, all of those sorts of things. We we fight against uh, the 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 American pleasure ethic that simply says, "Hey, as long as two people are consenting, you can do anything." No, no, we actually believe uh, sexuality was created for a purpose. Um, it's it's not just something that you do with certain parts of your body. It is much bigger than that, um, and fits into a much larger story that is rarely ever told in the cultural narrative. Um, uh, uh, we should stand against uh, the power 
the, the, the hunger for power and control that is so rampant in our culture. Uh, by being people who serve, by being people who um, we're not doormats by no stretch of the imagination, but we exercise a different kind of leadership. I mean, that's that's the whole servant leadership thing, right? I mean, that's how Jesus led, Jesus served. Um, and, and so we're, we're called to be a constant... Um, um, counter narrative to what the world is is saying to people and because the uh, because Americans love violence um we love it on YouTube videos we love it on in our movies and our TV shows we absolutely love it um and uh we are drenched in it absolutely we must be a people who are constantly advocating for peace. Now, that I'm not saying whether or not guns will ever be necessary in an evil age or whether or not they can be used in self-defense. I'm not, I'm not making any of those arguments at all. I'm just simply saying, as a group of people who stand against the gods, small g, the gods of the age, um, when one of the gods is, is propped up as redemptive violence and it, it infects our movies, our superhero movies, I and mean, we just love it when the bad guys get what, they're, um, what they deserve, we have to be a place where uh, the, the, counter, the counter narrative to that is practiced and embodied. And so uh, I have no issue if, if Christians own guns. But for Christians um, to stand against what what appears to be um, uh, very um, reasonable <laughs> efforts to make to keep guns out of uh, the people uh, out of the hands of people who really shouldn't have them, will it be perfect? No. But see, that's my point. The argument about whether or not Christians should support gun control or not cannot be based on on the pragmatic ethic of does it work. That if you're a Christian, that, that goes out because there are all kinds of things that work that Jesus would never touch, right? And, and, and we have to build the church on a completely different way of doing business. And, and it's not, does it work? The issue is, does it embody the vision of the prophets of Messiah Jesus and the apostles for what the kingdom of God is going to be like now that it's here and now that it's coming? And that is the ethic um, we build our communities upon. And so I, I'm just trying to think about, okay, what's the, how's that ethic uh, work in the gun control debate? Um, do I think our constitution says we have a right to bear? I'm sure. Um, do I think more government is a good thing? Nope, not always. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that think more should be given to the states, uh, more given to the local communities, that people ought to um, be very, very free to do whatever it is uh, they determine to do. But if we're going to argue from a Christian perspective, um, then I think there is a guiding vision for what the people of God should be. And that guiding vision doesn't come from what works. That guiding vision comes from what's going to be true and what is currently true now that Jesus Christ has risen and is reigning from the heaven. So just some thoughts. It, I'm sure it's an utter mishmash. I don't know if it makes any sense. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut us off here because... Um, our, our sweet John Piper, love him. Um, <laughs> his timing is awesome. And I love that he's so freaky consistent. Um, he was asked about all of this me too stuff that's coming out. And his answer was, 
no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this isn't his full answer, but it's the answer that's out there. Um, his answer was, listen, one of the reasons why there's so much abuse going on right now is because men have forsaken their special responsibility as leaders, as heads, um, over women to exercise special care for women in ways that women don't exercise towards men. And so, so it is a, a beautifully complementarian answer. Um, what is the problem? Why is there so much sexual sin in the world? Why is there abuse and domination and all this Me Too stuff? It's because there isn't enough male, true maleness, true male headshipness. Um, we need more male leadership, not less, which is a fascinating, fascinating take uh, on the subject and one in which we will explore uh, if nothing huge happens in the next week. So I'll be working on that one. Uh, until then, my brothers and sisters, as always, our podcast exists uh, in the hope that for those of you deconstructing your faith, you're given permission. And for those of you reconstructing your faith, you're given encouragement. Um, to not reconstruct it on all that we were told or the traditions that our faith rests upon, but to actually go back and scour the Gospels to hear again what the voice of Jesus sounds like so that we could recognize it when he's speaking and working and moving today. So to that end, my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace in these days. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.